Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. We are here on the Mike Abadir Show. Gino Bacola, the co-host here as we are couple games left in the NBA season. Baseball getting ready for the second half of the season. The summer racing meets beginning at Del Mar and at Saratoga. Football season on the horizon. Lots going on in the world of sports. And uh, getting warm out there again. Mike Abadir alongside Gino and uh, Mike. Uh, where do we uh, where do we want to start? A lot of different ways to go. Yeah, uh, first hope that the uh, Yankees players that have uh, tested positive are okay. Uh, aside from uh, the obvious health, you know, concerns and things of that nature, a little bit disappointed that we don't get baseball tonight. I was really looking forward to uh, the start of the second half with the Red Sox and the Yankees. That's obviously not going to happen today. Depending on how some of the tests come out, uh, we'll see when this series resumes. Now, Gina, keep in mind, eight out of the next 11 days will involve Red Sox-Yankees. So there's going to be plenty of, of time to make up games and doubleheaders and things of that nature. Because they're just playing each other. Both of these quite teams, unfortunately, even the Red Sox had a real, like a real disadvantage early, early in the, the second half. You know, if you're in a situation where you got to play some doubleheaders or you have to play, you know, you have to like squeeze a lot of games into it. It just is. Well, they cost. weren't even happy that they get to, to play today and get one less day of the less of day off. Break. Oh, I know. It, it, did, it does stink for whoever has to play this game. I was thinking about that when I was looking at the schedule. I was like, oh, I'm so glad the Dodgers had that extra day. Because when you think about the players that traveled, they don't get any. They wouldn't have gotten any time off. Like how many of your Red Sox players that traveled? They were hanging out Monday night. They were there Tuesday. And yeah, like you're not playing a whole lot, but you're doing so much more than you would normally do on a baseball game. You know how many interviews you're doing all throughout the day, and publicity, and press stuff, and walking around, and and visiting with fans, and signing extra autographs, and it's. It's like when you go it's like when you go on a vacation almost and you come home and you're more tired. You like you need a you need a few days off after your vacation. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. <laughs> I mean, well, look, when, those who went to the All-Star game, it's a working vacation. You know, it's it, it's basically kind of like you love going like a sure. teacher that goes to like a seminar or a conference out of their area. You know, and they still have to be up like at eight in the morning and, and go through, you know, and take notes and go through this seminar, this conference. And it, it's just work at a different place, really, is, is what it is. But to get one less day of an all-star break, that's pretty huge for a lot of these guys. And, you know, we'll see, like I said, what happens. Apparently, there is a Yankee all-star who apparently is tested positive. That's the news as of just a few moments ago. I think it was Judge. And so yeah, they're going to see. Judge. I think oh, I was saw. It? I didn't. Okay, I didn't know I'll, if they announced the name yet. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So he was whoever it was, a uh, judge or, or whomever, obviously had contact with these Red Sox guys. So you know, I don't want to speculate, and I don't want to be like Debbie Downer. But then, if that's the case, how does it trickle to all the other major leaguers, et cetera? So yeah, this is this is Buster, uh, Buster only. The three uh, Yankee position players who are in COVID protocol: Aaron Judge. Uh, Higoshi, uh, Higoshioka and Gio Urshla. Judge was at the All-Star game with other players, so this has triggered the contract tracing for the Red Sox players and presumably others. So, yeah, not doesn't know, doesn't mean if he has it, but he was the one that 
got flagged for the contact tracing or whatever. So I don't, you know, who knows what what exactly these mean? Because for all the sports, there were differences. I mean, they have it. They sometimes they test positive, but then they don't show the symptoms, or they will, t- or maybe it was just an inconclusive kind of test. But for whatever it is, he was there, and then yeah, that is. Uh, well, you're, you're right about that because the terminology is relevant. Um, I believe that the major leagues. Um, they can't just come out and announce or, you know, name a player. I think he has to give his consent, whereas maybe yeah. in some of the other sports, that might not be the case. So regardless, let's just hope, keep our fingers crossed and hope that it's not something that uh, leads to any more. Obviously, there's kind of an uptick going on and, you know, uh, kind of like we were talking about before we got started. I mean, people that are vaccinated and unvaccinated are are getting this stuff. Obviously, those who support the vaccine will say, you know what? Nonetheless, doesn't matter what the numbers say. Just keep getting it. It's, it's 99 percent, though. It's less than 99, per, greater than 99 percent. Like the it's all unvaccinated, unfortunately, well, because that's how it's being spread. The people that have gotten the vaccine aren't getting really sick. They're getting so like even if you get the virus, you're just not getting as, as sick. Like that was the point of the vaccine. That's the point of every vaccine. It doesn't mean you're completely immune from something. It means you don't get the very harsh symptoms. And so unfortunately, like if everybody was vaccinated, we wouldn't be continuing it. Now, this this new strain is is a little bit more aggressive from everything that I've read. I'm no expert. I'm just saying from all the stuff. Again, we're all like speculating here, but I completely disagree in that it's I, the, all of the, the stuff that I've seen, read, heard everywhere, all the people in the hospitals apparently are all people like unvaccinated that are really, really going through it again. Well, time will tell, right? Because we, we don't have enough numbers on this stuff and different countries have different results. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason that numbers can show what appears on the surface to be a discrepancy. It's because of what you mentioned, the variants. When there are variants, the vaccine doesn't prevent against every single variant known to man an unknown to man and they're going to be coming out and a lot of these times there there are mutations and how do these things mutate i have no idea what causes it to mutate and travel i have no idea so everybody's got to do what their conscience says is, is the right thing as far as relates to sports i do think it's a good idea to just stay on top of it from the get-go. I think that's the bottom line. If you stay on top of it from the beginning, there shouldn't be any outbreaks. Keep in mind, you know, this is the first time in three months that we're going to miss a major league game. Yeah, oh, yeah. So uh, so, so far, I think they've done a good job uh, controlling it. You know, and look, some of these guys in the locker room are vaccinated. Some guys are not vaccinated. It's still a choice for all of these professional athletes. I think in baseball and NFL, uh, the, the numbers are a little bit more than 50%. I think in baseball, it's even more than that. Um, so look, whatever they're doing is working. 85, um, or the, like the Yankees locker room. I thought, I I think think certain locker rooms are, are, it's definitely more widespread. And a lot of it's location where you are too, right? A lot of, I think of, you know, a lot, and that that's sometimes, but a lot of times I think the, the, the closer you are to the coast, probably, uh, you you got, I think you got more numbers and then towards the center, um, there were like lesser and lesser, just kind of like of the areas and like the highly populated areas. People. Yeah. And I think it also kind of, uh, comes down a little bit upon, uh, kind of where you come from too, because a lot of the guys, no, that's kind of what I was saying. Like where you're from. Yeah, No, I mean, I'm I'm talking like country of origin because a lot of the guys from the Latin American world, they come from very oppressive regimes, so they have an innate distrust of, of governments in general anyways. So they're a little bit more suspicious in, generally. I'm not stereotyping. I'm just saying generally speaking, so you come from Cuba, you've got this like really great distrust for the government. Why? Because they've been oppressed their whole life by the government. You know, it's that type of regime. So 
you know, once again, as long as they stay on top of it, I think that can prevail and triumph regardless of the circumstances because you nip it in the butt, right? So let's just hope that uh, they, they're they on it so soon, so quickly that there is not a uh, spread because this thing, because of the All-Star game, could spread that's, like that's wildfire. The problem. That's the thing. I mean, that's it's so, crazy timing of the so game. Weird, if the game was like right? three weeks ago, it probably wouldn't have been a big deal. And you wonder, <laughs> right? It's kind of like what you and I were talking about a little bit before we started. You almost wonder if it had something to do with that. Like the same conversation we're having about the Olympics is that when you're at a place and you get all these people that have come in from different places and they've been at all these different places and now they're all in this one centrally located place, is that something that we don't know? Again, we're, we're like speculating Probably, all this stuff. I mean, I kind of think that's how – this stuff mutates absolutely Most so do likely, I. right that's, a, so, that's totally it, it makes sense because there's just there's all these different germs from everybody from all these different places that kind of come together and that's that's the thing that we were saying is scary about the olympics with even with the the lack of fans at at the events you're still going to have people from literally all over the world like all different like class levels and high you know what i mean like, e- like everything which is Great. That's what makes the Olympics so great. But that's what also makes it so scary. With like, even if even if the All Star Game wasn't it had nothing to do with it, and maybe whoever it was it was positive before that, and it just it feels like a weird coincidence that it happened to be right after a time when everyone kind of came together like that. You know? Yeah, and you know it's kind of unfortunate that we have to spend the first like nine minutes of the show talking about a lot of this that's stuff. Inevitable uh, though. It's actually it- a lot more pervasive in terms of its impact than uh, than meets the eye because if you look it's kind of touched most of the pro sports in the last like week or so in some way shape or form even Mm -hmm. if it's just putting people in protocols you know god knows the u.s uh, basketball team probably needs as much firepower as possible and looks like they're going to be missing out on on uh, one of their more potent potent offensive players very disappointing by the way jeremy grant i understand understand the world has caught up in terms of basketball talent but i mean i've never seen the U.S. team gets stomped on a couple of games in a row. And they're not that bad. We've sent out, we've sent rosters that were less star-studded than this that were more dominant. Because Absolutely. What, what, what always would happen was like everybody would go for their one round, kind of, right? And then it was like, oh, I went once, I won. Okay, we'll let sort of the younger guys that are up and coming kind of go and like, you know, lead the way. They've got Durant, Lilliard over there. Uh, you know, Beal, like we said, we're, we're playing Tatum. Like they have legitimate, legitimate star talent, and what's they're going to be missing now, Beal and Grant. And keep in mind, because the NBA Finals is now going to be extended a little bit. That's Booker, that's Middleton, and there's one. I think Drew Holiday. So there's, a, I know there's three more. So if there's if there's a two week kind of a what's the word uh, holding cell. Uh, uh, Why can I think the, of the word? You know, where they before they can get into 14. the Olympics. Yeah, is that going to be? Um, that, that means and those I, guys can't, can't compete. Then I'm, I'm guessing. I, I mean, that's. I don't think timing can. wise it will work out. I mean, even if if it's a uh, you know two games uh, from here on out, uh, two more games only. I, I still don't think it would add up. Maybe t- if to get somebody into the finals or something. I don't know. The final yeah. round of the Olympics. That is. I, oh I'm, yeah. I'm not really sure, but. Uh, by then, do you even want to incorporate somebody who hasn't had a chance to have a single practice with everybody? I, I don't know. That's assuming. That's assuming, Gino, we even yeah. got that far. I know. 
It's yeah, it is. You know what it reminds you- me of? Here's the analogy to me. And unfortunately, this analogy isn't going to work because I should probably use baseball, but I'm going to use football because sometimes it's easier to um, visualize it. Let's just say the rest of the world played uh, American football. And we put a team together of pro bowlers, the best guys in every single position from the NFL. And they start playing together two weeks ago. And then they go up against like a hu- physically huge group of people, let's say Samoans. And they've got this dominant running game that we couldn't stop. I would kind of ask the question, are we playing the best brand of football? Looks like they're on to something here. So I'm going to bring that back to basketball. We have the best athletes, obviously, and the best basketball players for our brand. But is this the best brand of basketball? Nope. Nope. It is not. And you, that's, a, dude, that's a great point that you, that you just picked out. And you know what? What is, what is hurting the players right now? That the, the way that the game – some of the slight rules – in in the international uh, play, um, uh, like you know, just the three point lines a little a little shorter. They just don't get away with the fouls that they get in the NBA. Like they're they don't get away with the baiting of the fouls. They just don't they don't officiate that. That game isn't really played like that ar- around the rest of the world as much. And so you, there's clips of like Lillard like tripping over himself because he's just expecting. You know, like foul calls, and he's tripped. He's on the floor, and and they're on like you know three on two breakaways where the, the you know Nigeria is just running running out on them, and uh, it the game has gotten you know a little sloppy, like a little very very reliant on hucking up threes. The problem is, is that shooting becomes sort of an equalizer now, right? If shooting is such a high variant too, like. You could be a much worse player playing against a much better player. And if you just have a really good shooting day and they just have a really bad shooting day, you're just going to beat them. It, like, it, it's simple. And and they, we're not, like, we haven't used our advantage anymore. And it, I just keep thinking of Shaq and, like, how a guy like Shaq today, people are like, Shaq wouldn't work. Shaq would absolutely destroy people because they wouldn't oh, know no, what to no, do no with doubt. him. They wouldn't know what to do with him. He would be such an outlier now. He would be even more dominant. Than he was then. He would not even attempt to shoot a three. That's what's been so great about Giannis in them in the last couple games. When he just decides and realizes, you know what, I'm not going to shoot a three right now, and he goes at it. Like for for back to back games, the Suns could not stop him. He scored forty back back to back and was just incredibly dominant. And um, so yeah, I think you're you hit it. Then you hit the nail on the head. It's not as fundamental. It's not as smart. It's sometimes just. Um, Let's huck it up. Um, you, you know, I uh, get a little little one-on-one. Sometimes you get a little ISO. You, you, I can do this. And we don't play nearly as smooth as the rest of the world does. Wait, you, so are you saying that the international rules are, what's the word? Like, they allow for more of a physical game than in, the NBA? Yes. Like, play-on kind of concept? They just don't, they don't reward the the foul baiting, right? Like we, it's so simple to watch the players that are what what the players are trying to do. Like referees can tell when Harden and Lilliard are are baiting you. It's it's one thing when you just stick your head down and go, and you know you're going to get fouled. But when you're out there and you're tiptoeing and you're baiting, baiting, and then you're like stopping in front of players, something that Trey Young and CP3 do a little bit, you know, it's like that's not really like in the spirit of basketball. You know, a lot of the foul hunting, um, it's taking advantage of what's being called, right? And so that it doesn't 
like it sort of just bothers me because like I'd rather watch different basketball. But hell, it's like if they're going to let people get away with it. Sure. I can't be too mad at them for just taking advantage of what's being called. It's it's just such a noticeable difference when you watch them over there. These guys drive the lane. And then what ends up happening is it starts getting in your head, Mike. If you're used to driving and getting calls and now you're not getting them and like two or three times in a row you went, then like. The next time down, you don't drive and you probably settle for a shot that's not as great of a shot. And now all of a sudden you're like playing this this weird game in your head when like confidence is such a big thing. Wow, that's very, very, very insightful analysis there by Gina Bacola because there are to the to the layperson that just tunes in for the Olympics and sees the US team losing, it's you can't put it in words. You you're like mesmerized, you're puzzled. With your breakdown, you see that there are actually reasons that this is happening, the reasons that they are not performing to our expectations, to a gold medal standard. There are absolute reasons for that. And to me, it makes me wonder why doesn't the NBA kind of maybe hone in a little bit on on this issue and maybe ask the officials to uh, to loose, loosen up you know, the, the foul calling a little bit to allow some more of a physical play. You know, it's interesting, think- Gino, and I don't know if you watch the two championship games in soccer and the uh, Copa yeah. and the Euro. I saw a very noticeable difference in terms of how the games were refed. The game in South America uh, or between Brazil and Argentina was a much more physical brand of soccer and the refs let them play on so much. I was like, wow, this is like really noticeable if you watch both tournaments throughout and then you watch those two final games you'll see that they let them play on quite a bit we're in the euro you still have a lot of that fake soccer go down to the ground as if you just are about to be you know about to die and then you get up a minute later and then you're back at full speed again a lot of acting going on you know yeah. what I mean? So it's and it, it and it's um we're getting ready for a break uh, in a minute or so and uh it, it does a disservice to the players, to everybody, for there to not be like a little bit closer to uniformity. Because when everybody comes together, like somebody's at a disadvantage. We're seeing it actually, it, it happens every year in the playoffs. I, I kind of, I, 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 I get on this, uh, I, I get on this every year when like during the regular season, you're watching and like, and Harden's getting like 25 free throws, and most of them are just ticky tack stuff. And it happens with Lilliard or, or other other players. It gets frustrating because they don't get those same exact calls in the playoffs. And so who does that hurt? Well, it hurts them because in the playoffs, they're trying to play the same game that they played in the regular season that worked for them, but they don't get officiated the same way. Jeff Van Gundy literally said this exact same thing last night on the broadcast. It was like, oh, that was another one that would have been called a foul in the regular season, and it's not right now. And he said, look, I'd rather have it be like this all the time where it is a little more tough and it's not as ticky tack, but if you're, you, you can't have it one, you can't do both. You have to just be a little bit more consistent and not change, completely change the way you're going to officiate things just because these games mean more. It should be the opposite. Yeah, I completely agree with that. No, 100%. And you know, you kind of went through the, uh, the process of it becoming kind of a head game, uh, getting into your head on the offensive side. Well, I'll offer up the same on the defensive side too, because. You know, do I be more aggressive? Are mm-hmm. are, are are the refs now gonna? Can I get away with? Know, yeah, are they not gonna call it if I do this or that? 
Um, so maybe the teams that are more aggressive have a little bit more of an advantage in postseason. I'll have to remember that next time the playoffs come around and how I handicap the fields. But clearly, uh, we're suffering in the international game. So we'll we'll see if they could get their act together in time and be able to fix uh, some of these issues here. Gino, let's take a quick commercial timeout. We'll come back. There's plenty more to talk about with all of these sports. Stay with us. We'll be back right after this. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. A little bit of a bummer of a first segment. I mean, we had to get into some of the real world stuff. Games getting canceled. The mask mandates coming back. The Olympic team looking like trash in a couple of exhibition games. But don't worry. We actually do have some positive things to talk about. Yeah, let's focus on the good. I was going to say, there's a lot of funny, uh, fun stuff going on and a lot of good stuff that we can actually talk about because uh, even today, it was Thursday, was opening day at Saratoga. Uh, Tomorrow, Friday, opening day at Del Mar. If you're a horse racing fan, we don't have to explain to you, uh, you know, about the uh, the importance of those two meets and how uh, good of uh, betting opportunities you'll be able to get on the the day in and day out. That will be a lot of fun. So and, let me let uh, me interrupt you right there, Gino. Actually, because it, it, this poses kind of an age old question, at least between me and some of my friends and family members and other horse players. Which is this: Would you rather? And before you give a quick answer, give this some thought for a moment. Would you rather play quality racing from a wagering perspective or it don't matter just as long as I'm good at handicapping whatever it is that's in front of me? 
I I personally don't don't care as long as there's big fields. Because uh, if I can if I can have big fields and I can find opportunities myself and and me me particularly um, because of of uh, what I've done uh, for from work when I started working at TVG um, I started and would have worked a lot of Mondays and Tuesdays then I would went literally fill in anywhere they needed at any time there would be weeks where I would have uh, I'd work six days and I would have I would handicap fifteen to twenty different racetracks and three different breeds. Standard bred thoroughbreds and quarter horses. <laughs> so I don't really. And I never, so you kind of have to learn to find the nuggets anywhere, whatever it was you were handicapping. You know what? You can for me five to one is five to one. Whether it's in the uh, the grade one uh, Diana or whether it's in a twenty five hundred dollar claimer, you know, at Emerald, it's the same five to one to me. Um, yeah, my dad used that exact analogy. Actually, I think even with five to one, because yeah. he would, he he would always tell me he was like, unless I'm going. To Del Mar, like it don't matter to me really. He's like Santa Anita, Del Mar, you know, uh, Fairplex. He's like I'm just looking for winners, and I'm looking to. Uh, to he's like if anything, sometimes the more up the ladder you go, the more formful it gets at times, you know. But I think he was maybe more referring to like G1 races and things of that nature. You know, you, you kind of have a better idea. There's just more consistency amongst those horses, so you don't have a lot of this up and down performance stuff you know like like low-level claimers or whatever but it makes for an interesting question to ponder yep. and i'm sure that there's some people that are like i only play uh mm-hmm. saratoga or i only yeah. play and that's fine too you mm-hmm. know and i know with uh with some of those meets i know some people very interesting because i don't do this but i've seen it work that they're kind of more pedigree players that there's right. certain pedigrees that that um Let's say at Del Mar a track that I'm much more familiar with than Saratoga because I've I've lived down uh, next to the racetrack for for several years, uh, and th- the moisture and the humidity and the ocean and everything has huge impact on the surface and on uh, on the performance. And so there are certain pedigrees, I suppose, where you'll see that come into play. That certain pedigrees year in year out handle it very very well. And that's the way that these type of handicappers find long shots. They'll play them whether they're fourteen to one or four to five. Absolutely. Um, I'm more of a, and and I'm I'm not as much of a just like a blind trend or like blind angle as as much as I am. I it, it when it all comes together for me when I like a horse and then I look and then there's that angle that I like with the particular horse that fits, you know, when it all comes together, it's when you feel like all warm and fuzzy inside. It's like, Oh, nice. Like there are the three or four or five things, whatever it is I look for. And they all kind of seem to be coming together with this horse. Well, you strike, right you here. strike me as a, uh, cro- like the intersection between form and value. A hundred percent, hundred percent. I just try to be as much of a like a sponge and not as and like uh, like a chameleon kind of as possible because uh, like every situation is like a little bit different and I and the one thing I will use is like the always defining factor is price. If I'm ever like deciding on something or what to do or here, I just use the best price or the biggest price, you know. And, and that's kind of like okay, yeah. If I it's funny today it, it actually it worked out well for me at Saratoga's. My opinions weren't very good for most of the Saratoga card, and then in the last race. I, had, I was knocked out of all of the rolling exotics. I didn't have any pick fours or fives or anything left. But I, I did like a couple horses in the last race that were, were going to be uh, prices. I, I liked the two and the five both. And they were both like in the 10 to 1 range. And 
when I was sitting there figuring out how I was going to bet the race, I, I, I played, uh, like two and five over some horses in exactas and tries, but I'm trying to figure out, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to bet one of these horses to win. Who is it going to be? And at the moment, the two was 13 to one, the five was eight to one. I was like, okay, I'll just bet the two, you know, the two is a little bit higher. And then by the time the race went off, the two went off at seven to one and the five went off at 10 to one, the two won actually, which was, which is great. So it worked out in my favor, but it's funny. Uh, no, you know, if it, if it would have been a little bit later, it would have not worked out in my favor. I would have got, I would have gone the other way with the five but um, that's what's great about these meets is uh at del mar and at saratoga like yeah that can happen anywhere where you're not having a great day and then you find a nice horse in the last race but you you can only need like one or two races on on these days much more than you would like normally at Santa Anita when the, the way things have been going or like on kind of just a, a regular Belmont day or an aqueduct day, you can really take advantage and you're going to get a lot of situations where horses that probably would have been five to one or eight to one or 10 to one, you know, and that, and that's, that's what is, is really, um, appealing about, uh, you know, these, these summertime meets to come up and this weekend, you got Monmouth with the Haskell and a bunch of graded stakes there. You got Del Mar opening weekend, Saratoga opening weekend, like all rolling. It's going to be one of those really busy Saturdays in racing. Yeah, and I think uh, you made a very good point in terms of, you know, certain horses that might be, you know, whatever, uh, five to two at Santa Anita, you know, might be, you might be able to get eight to one or five to one or, you know, a tremendous value. Mm -hmm. And those are kind of the races that I like where I know that the betters are going to key in let's say on a pletcher first time starter two-year-old a saratoga where i see that there's another horse maybe that had one uh race under its belt and that there was maybe an excuse i like to load up maybe on that horse if i'm getting five to one or even eight to one because i know everybody's going to be playing the pletcher horse i can't make money mm -hmm. on this race unless i go about it that way and if you get the right value you know you could get it to where as long as i'm right you know, once out of three or four occurrences that this happens during the meet, that I'm I'm okay. Uh, especially if you're an exotics player, now you're keying that horse on top, uh, and first and second and exactas on top, and trifectas and superfectas. And I think that's where the meet does come into play. And that's what I was telling my dad is in the pool sizes, mm -hmm. right? That's where for me as a player, as a handicapper, I enjoy. I like handicapping the wagering menu itself to see which wagers, you know, certain meets, you've seen this, you know, certain meets, you're like, I cannot believe a three to one and a four to one and an exact paid 67. I'm used to that paying 18 at Golden Gate. And so you want to handicap the wagers at some of these places because you'll find that you do get more value. And I understand that there's certain percentage takeouts that vary from one jurisdiction to the next. But you'll also find that because of the pool sizes, there are certain pools that just tend to have a little bit more value than other ones, Gino. Especially like the $1 pick threes in New York. I try you know, to. It's uh, not the same where if you multiply here the 50 cent times two, so look at that payoff and then compare it. It's not comparable, I don't think. No, it's it's not. The, the uh, denomination is always a, a huge factor. And I try to just uh, equate it in my head when I'm when I'm either having good days or bad days to just playing baseball you know i want to hit i want to hit uh close to what a, a good baseball player would hit with with my with my win clip um because like for me like i'm never betting a favorite 
I'm never betting horses that are that kind of prices. Like I'm almost like, and if I'm betting a horse, you're talking like, about the win end, of course. Yeah, like on the win end clip, horizontals. like on the specific win end versus like the exotics. Exotics are are a little bit different. Like you know, you're not depending on how you play exotics too. If you're someone who who takes shots against favorites a lot, you're not necessarily needing to win nearly as much. Um, and I I try to I try to aim in that you know twenty twenty five. If I can hit around two fifty or so, I know with the the prices that I'll be playing, I'm in good shape. And, and you know, and and anything over that, I'm in I'm in great shape, you know. And and uh, for me, you know, it just comes down to trying to stay as disciplined as possible, making sure that which is hard nowadays. Like I just said, you know, imagine if you were someone that was really like you're really disciplined and you're going, okay, I like the two in this race, but I have to have the two at like at least ten to one. And so I'm watching that race going, oh great, you know, this horse is like thirteen to one with a couple minutes left to post, and uh, like two minutes left to post is still twelve to one. Perfect, I'm getting. I'm getting max value and it doesn't matter if you're betting like in any industry that you're in, you want to try to get the best value that you have with any business, with any industry. Right. So you're going great. I'm getting more value than I would have, than I I would have expected. And then all of a sudden the race starts and this horse goes down to seven to one and there's nothing you can really do about it. Right. Like that's what's, that's what started to become a little bit hard about, about uh, our game too, in that uh, with the, with the computer players and the bigger ones is that, you know, if you're someone who plays a lot and you're, and you're kind of trying to, to uh, be disciplined like that in your head. Now you're going, darn, well, it's great. I had a winner, um, but if that horse wouldn't have won, I'd have been kind of mad that I bet the seven to one shot when I, I didn't really want him at that price, you know? Yeah, no doubt about that. And, you know, I I always tell people that I analogize uh, horse racing with like the stock market and especially Absolutely. the crypto market. You see that all the time because in, in, in all of those things, you're looking for value. And so now I've started to anticipate when do the computer models suggest that there's value elsewhere? Because you know that money is going to be coming in in masses. And uh, where the, that model got perfected, actually, Gina, was in Hong Kong at Sha Tin. Uh, that's where they perfected those models. And they actually initially started it with uh, the pick six wager. It's very interesting. I don't know if you've uh, read up on this or not. But over there in the pools, it's kind of like this. You know here... You, you see a race and you're like, man, if I would have known that boxing the top three favorites in the trifecta would have paid 108, I would have done it. You know, we've all seen that payoff that's just like ridiculous. We're like, wow, how did it pay $54 for the top three favorites in the try? Well, in Hong Kong, in shots in, you could actually, there are like will pays, so to speak, as of that minute, if it finishes 7 9 one, this is There's the zero reason be. why we can't have that either. It's it's zero reason zero. why we can't have that. And, and they, so they had the same thing with respect to the pick six. Now, obviously, that's going to change minute by minute. But these these uh, computer, you know, They're software problems. experts They're, were yeah. able to dial in to find how what combination do I have to have to win the whatever the three million dollar jackpot, right? And they would play those combinations, and so. It's really interesting to me that they're able to upload that information over there and that we still don't have that over here. Between Hong Kong, um, between uh, Australia um, and some of their racing, um, there's always a funny meme that goes around when like when, you know, the graphics at a track or or something happens and, and everyone will say like some of the some of the horse racing executives have said quote like horse racing has the best technology and it would just get all of us pe- to laugh because for, <laughs> for the reasons that we're just saying it's yeah, just like yeah. how can you say that with a straight face you know like we literally have the worst t- 
technology. Like it's not even, you know, and it, just like think about like the numbers and stats and everything like all, all over the place elsewhere, you know, and, and just kind of compare it. It's, it's funny where like horse racing is actually like the easiest to, to use a lot of these numbers and they're, they're like the least, <laughs> the least like readily available and the least like, uh, it, anyways, a, wh- a whole nother story, but it's like a funny meme that's always around horse racing as the best technology. I mean, how long it takes for an inquiry or a photo finish, like a photo finish should take five seconds. There should be just, Oh, it's on the wire. We've got the thing. Oh, that horse moment. It's like, you got the photo, you cross the line first and there it's boom done. Dude. Have you seen those races late night from Japan? Absolutely. It happens in two seconds. Like it displays it like almost instantaneously. They don't even take a photo. It seems they just have that like slow-mo to the, to the finish line. What ends up happening is the announcers like set it up. Like the announcers don't even have to call them because they know they're coming so quickly. They'll be like, "Oh, and it's close. Which one is it? It is. Oh, there it is. You know, and like it'll it'll be right there for them." <laughs> Unbelievable, man. Uh, yeah, uh, how do we not adopt some of those little things is beyond me, man. And the inquiries. Oh, don't get me started on that, Gino. That other I uh, I made the foolish mistake uh, a few days ago. Of you, you know how it is, Gino. When once you get to playing after a certain time of night. In California, you're in in dangerous levels, you know what I mean? Anyways, there was some race. I I think it was Fair Meadows or something. And shame on me for even entertaining such a track. No offense to Fair Meadows. But, I mean, Mike Avedere in L.A. has no business playing Fair Meadows race 12. Okay? Just putting it out there. And, uh, anyways, there was an inquiry. And I was like, this is the only angle they're watching? Are Are you serious right now? Are you serious right now? <laughs> I, I, I just, just was in disbelief that, that of, of how little technology. I get, I get it. Small track. They have a small budget and that type of thing. But, I mean, all this stuff should be standardized, at least from the technology perspective throughout the game, man. If people really had a sense of, you know, growing the game in Oklahoma is just as important as in Oregon as it is in New York City as in Miami and L.A., that would – help the game overall man that's that's my take on it <laughs> i agree and uh we are getting close to uh our uh our final break here when we return we can get into a little baseball i'm curious uh your thoughts on the the red Sox and their prospects for the second half of the season now and uh the dodgers have a huge couple weeks to start uh seven of their first 10 games i believe uh, out of the all-star break are, uh, are going to be against the Giants. I know they play seven of them coming up in the next two weeks, so uh, going to be massive couple weeks coming up in baseball. Let's talk a little more baseball after the break. Let's do it, Gino. Stay with us. We will be back right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. 
Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Final segment here on the Mike Abadir Show as uh, we were uh, discussing, uh, you know, big racing uh, weekends coming up with... Uh, Delmar Friday and Saturday. We did a bunch of coverage, uh, Mike, on uh, on that's what she said for Friday, and uh, and I'll have for Saturday. Friday, uh, our friend Emily Gullickson joined me to talk about Delmar opening day. I had Chase uh, Sesums, who's uh, the Wolf of Oaklawn. I know he's the Wolf of Oaklawn, but he joined me to talk about Saratoga for Friday, and then I also have a uh, Saturday for Delmar, Saratoga, and Monmouth. So if you would need some help, those are good. Like. Background noise, you know, throw them on where you're doing your handicapping and maybe uh, maybe we'll lead you to a horse or two that you might not have had in your ticket and we can uh, we can get you like a, a nice 10 to one shot to spice things up. Yeah, and of those of those guests that you mentioned, the one I'm most familiar with is Emily. And I, uh, I have to confess, I have not subscribed to the optics EQ uh, modeling, but I would uh, but I'll say from what I've seen, it's really good. Shame on me for not she- giving it a shot. I should. Uh, and I and I think I, I will. Uh, but it's really good, man. She she uncovers some nuggets. You know my uh, every my, race card that I look. You know my ego when it comes to handicapping and horse racing. I think there are few that I hold in higher uh, regard than myself. But she is a, she is someone that I would blindly trust. Like if you if you didn't have time to handicap a card one day and you just needed some help. She is one of the absolute best, one of my favorite people to talk racing with. And so when uh, it's cool whenever we, we come on, it's like a really good horse by horse in each race conversation where it's really like you really hear the process of why we do why we like this horse, why we don't like this horse. What's OK? Could this horse? Yeah, maybe. But we probably want a little bit better price. And yeah, how's the race going to shape? It's it's a lot of fun. I, I always learn a little bit from her and I always, uh, she always kind of leads me to a couple horses that weren't on my radar. So, uh, make sure to give her a follow. And, uh, there's, there's a lot of great content out there right now coming up for the summer meet really good people out there with podcasts, written stuff. I know our buddy, Andrew champagne covers Saratoga for each and every day. He's got picks out there too. So, uh, um, lots of fun in horse racing, but not a bad first half for both of our baseball teams, Mike. Um, the Dodgers were supposed to be good. The Red Sox were, weren't supposed to be this good. So that's got to be a positive. They didn't necessarily end on the strongest note, but right now, uh, where they are, I, they're in a really good spot. And I, I kind of teased before uh, we went to the commercial break. Coming up for the Dodgers, if you look at everything for the Dodgers, they have the second best record in the league. They're 56 and 35. Um, there's a lot of things that you look at with them. 
that are like, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. The only thing that's really weird is that the Giants have been really good, and in the the things that stand out in one run games this year, the Dodgers are eleven and sixteen, and they are one and eight in extra inning games. Can you imagine if just a few of those flipped the other way, they would be, you know, they'd have already won sixty games. So it sounds to me like they are are uh, happy. That Manfred is looking to change back the uh, runner on second in extra innings <laughs> exactly. rule because it just isn't working out for them for whatever reason. Uh, yeah. I'm sure Dave Roberts fully, fully but, supports that. So but then on the other fly, a flip side though, you, right, question for you because I'm a Dodger fan, obviously. So I'll see the glass like half full with something like that. I'll go, okay, wow, like th- th- those probably even out. There's probably some regression to the mean. But when you get to like 90 games or so, you start to wonder. Is there going to be some regression? Yeah, probably a little. Or is this maybe a little bit of who this team is? Like, maybe they're really good, but they're not just quite as dominant. They they still have major issues with, you know, like, situations with close games, runners in scoring position when things get a little bit tight. I, I wonder, you know, because you could ask, you could play both sides of this very easily. You know when you see, like, um, you read, like, uh, power rankings from maybe like ESPN writers and they'll have the different beat writers from the teams just write a one liner, right? You could never summarize a season in one line, of course, but if we were doing that right now, and if I was asked to write that about the Dodgers, I would probably, my one liner would probably say something along the lines of does Cody Bellinger show up in the second half? Yeah. And and I think that's the one thing that will that would make a huge difference in those one run games because he was so clutch he's batting 176 still and, and you know what would i know he's would, missed some games but 176 at this point of the, that's not cody bellinger and what would even eat let's say he hits 200 but if he's in the lineup every day he makes your defense so much better oh, when yeah. you're able to put him next to mookie that has been one of that has been the one thing I've been the most disappointed in because I've, I've really looked into the last couple of days a lot about the Dodgers and numbers and tried to figure out. And you know what? Like, altogether, they've been pretty darn good. Like, they've gotten almost nothing from Bellinger. They've gotten very little from Seager, who is your world. That's a World Series MVP, an MVP, and Mookie has been pretty bad. Like, Mookie was, let's say this, Mookie was embarrassed to go to the All-Star game. I think he. I think that's what it was. I think he was like, uh, you know, it's an honor for me, but like, I don't need to go there. Like, let's let somebody else who's had a better year go. I, and I don't think embarrassed may not be the right word, but I don't. I just think he was thinking like, no, nah, I'm not an all star this year, though. You know, because he really he he really didn't have a fan, hasn't had a fantastic season. So, you know, like think about how on other teams, like if 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 on any team your Mookie bets wasn't playing very well, you're probably not having a great half. If your Corey Seager isn't playing well, you're probably not having a great half. If your Cody Bellinger isn't playing well and isn't there, and then then you put all three of them together, <laughs> that that really you didn't get a whole lot out of. So let's um, just say this: thank God for Max Muncy and right? Chris and Taylor. Chris Taylor. Chris Taylor. Uh, <laughs> those guys are carrying the offense. They're carrying the load. Muncy's average has been really solid, so he's getting a lot of hits, not just home runs. He's getting on base. He's got a high on base percentage. His Chris, Chris Taylor is has had some power. He's driven in runs. He's scored a lot of runs. 
and he's stealing bases. He's the only guy really on the Dodgers outside of Betts that um, has brought any speed to the base paths this season in, in the form of stolen bases, at least, uh, and, and triples, etc. So those two guys are having magnificent seasons. If it weren't for them, the Dodgers would, would definitely be in a different place. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's more so because of the underperformance of certain guys. The other guy that probably deserves a little bit of props, too, is Will Smith, the catcher. Very I think he's solid. done a good job. Kind of under the, the radar, staff. too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's done a really good job handling the pitchers, and uh, his stick has been pretty solid, very clutch. I don't know how many game-winning RBIs he's got, but it seems like, you know, once every 10 days or so, he's got a big home run or base hit that uh, was the difference in the game, or maybe even a walk-off. So, good stuff there. And the other guy that deserves props from the Dodgers, too, man, is Albert Pujols. I, I thought I saw that with the Dodgers, he's batting like 275. He has been excellent. And exactly what you would they would have hoped for him and what I questioned and was like really because they've just done they put him in situations to succeed where he gets a lot of at bats against left-handed pitching and he does really well against left-handed pitching he gives them a better option than the options that they have and that's really all it comes down to sometimes. Like, I think everybody got caught up, in, and I did too, is, oh, Albert Pujols, this doesn't make a lot of sense. He can't really play there a whole lot. Well, he's been fine at first base. You sort of needed extra bodies when, when people got banged up anyways. And then you move Muncie over. You got a lot of versatility with guys like Taylor and Lux that can move all over the place wherever you need them anyways. And he's been a lot better than I thought. And he's just he's been better than... Then having like Luke Rayleigh and and DJ Peters get a ton of at bats, and that was that was what was happening before. Put it this way, his OPS rivals Mookie Betts. Yeah, they're almost identical. Eight twenty four uh, for for Pools, eight thirty nine for for Mookie Betts. Uh, those aren't that's not a very big differential. You know, a, a couple of walks in uh, Pools' favor or a couple more hits. Uh, that puts him into the 830 range as well. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. I love seeing Albert Pujols come back and and uh, you know challenge some of these home run milestones. I'd like to see him get to 700. I think he can now. I, I, I think he I can think, too. I think if you would ask me uh, about six weeks ago, I would have said probably not. Completely agree. This this rejuvenated him a little bit. You know, it like it, it, it gave him a little bit of a oomph, like, oh, you know what? I still got this. Like, I still have I can still produce. I can still help. And uh, for me, before uh, I, we let you get into a few thoughts on the on the Red Sox, so we don't have too much time here left. Um, the, the thing that I've just been a little like the most disappointed with the Dodgers this year and things they really need to clean up defensively. They've been really sloppy, and and maybe that's because of there being a lot of injuries, so players kind of moving around, or maybe not necessarily being in their 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 best spots where they play all the time. But it's really sloppy stuff that that like lost them some games, um, and they've not been good at throwing out base runners, and they don't steal. So if you're you, you, like fundamental stuff um, for a team that you know they they get they have graded bats. They get on base. They do all the stuff right on the like when they get in the batter's box, and they're very smart there. But uh, defensively and fielding wise, there have been just a lot of like mental errors. Though those are things you need to clean up. You know, you you're not gonna you can't be a bad base like a bad fielding baseball team and a sloppy baseball team. Like your margin of error now, you don't have May now anymore. Um, you don't have Trevor Bauer. Who knows what's gonna happen there? You know, so all of a sudden 
this team that had the really, really dominant starting rotation, Clayton Kershaw, was injured heading to the All-Star break. Now your margin of error is much different. Do they go out and make a trade? The one that Dodger fans love to hear and keep uh, dreaming about, Mike, is, uh, is Scherzer. Which would be just, you know, uh, like just incredible. But, you know, who knows? Um, I, th- I do think they will at least go try to get like a depth uh, starter, like a number three or number four. So we only have a few minutes left. Give us some of your uh, first half uh, Red Sox and uh, what are your thoughts moving forward to the second half? Well, let's talk about the second half first. I'm going to, you know, there's plenty of baseball left to go. And I understand that. But I'm going to go ahead and bury a few teams and tell you that they're done. And I'm also going to give you a, a couple of teams to look out for it, that they're going to make some runs. So who will not make a run? I'm going to go ahead and uh, write the obituary for the New York Yankees. I think I they're done. I, I think we've one. seen enough to know that outside of Cole, they don't have pitching. You can't win in this game in that division without some level of pitching. So we could go ahead and uh, bury them. The Minnesota Twins have been buried for a long time. They won four in a row going into the All-Star break, but they're they're just – they're they're. 15 games is just too big of a hole to win that division. Uh, I don't know how many back for the wild card they are, but there's better teams than them. Uh, the Atlanta Braves, and unfortunately, I've got to do this, especially yeah, after Acuna. the unfortunate injury for Acuna, who's uh, you know probably top three players in the league, and it sucks. Just I'll just say it. It sucks to see him not involved in the second half. Uh, some teams that I think you might see a little bit of a run from are the Cincinnati Reds. Yep, they're playing some good ball. The Seattle Mariners and the Toronto Blue Jays. Yep. Those are my, hey, they're, they're, these teams are going to make a run in the second half. I'm not saying they're going to win it all or anything, but we're going to see some good baseball from them and maybe a move in the standings. Uh, I don't think for the Mariners that they're going to be able to overtake the Astros and the A's, but I think they could challenge for a final wild card spot. I really feel that way. So think- with respect to the Red Sox, I think that they've shown me. And remember, I didn't have them as a playoff team before the season started. I thought there was way too many question marks. But I'm going to go ahead and say that they've got enough to win the division. I'm not saying and- that they're for sure going to, but I think that they've got enough. They've demonstrated that they have enough to win that division, especially because Chris Sale had a very nice – um, warm up, if you want to call it that today. This is the first time he actually threw to a live hitter since 2019. Four innings, five strikeouts. And we're not talking about going up against like Boston College or anything in the you know first week of spring training. You know, he's going up against professional hitters. So uh, he looked pretty good. And um, if Chris Seal is anything like the old Chris Seal, then I think the Red Sox are in really, really good shape, you know. We got a minute left. And Mike, you're going to know in, in the next month. You're going to know where the Red Sox stand because uh, coming out of the break, they have alternating series against the Yankees and the Blue Jays for the first two weeks. Then they play the Rays to end the month. They play a division rival in 29 of their next 32 games. Uh, you know, the Cincinnati now Reds. mid-August. So in the Cincinnati Reds of 1990, they ended up sweeping the heavily favored Oakland A's in the World Series. And one thing that they taught me was this. They started off the year, I want to say like 13 and 2 or something like that. But when you look at their record after that great start, they were like 500 the rest of the year. That's how important a big lead good start. or a good start matters in this game. I think the Red Sox right now that they're what 19 games above 500, they could go 500 the rest of the way and be fine. 
So it's going to take some monumental efforts by some of these other teams to overtake them. I'm not saying the Red Sox are going to go 500 in these series, but they are. So they are important, but I think they're a lot more important for New York and for Toronto. Because the Red Sox, like I said, could probably go 500 the rest of the way out and probably still win that division. So Opportunities for everybody, which are great, and opportunities for the Red Sox to put their foot on the throat of uh, the teams that are behind them and and get a little separation. So uh, I think we are set, Mike. Another awesome show where we just had so much to talk about. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're out of time. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.